from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out to that area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the, hill, on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So that's a, that's a weird story, right? That's a pretty, pretty intense story. Uh, if you are visiting this morning for the first time, or maybe you're checking us out online for the first time, I just want to say, sorry. That's a weird week to come in on, on the first week that you're here. This is a, such a fascinating story that we see throughout the Gospels multiple times, and it's like super dark and creepy, and honestly, I considered saving it for Halloween, which is on a Sunday this year. You see, one of the stranger aspects of Jesus' ministry uh, that is front and center on nearly every page of each of the four Gospels is that Jesus was constantly dealing with spiritual powers that resisted him and, the, and, and resisted this kingdom that he had come proclaiming. It's like everywhere in the Gospels, demons, powers, spirits, authorities, Satan is referenced a bunch of times, and yet here we are reading the Bible in America in the 21st century, and we're reading these stories of an ancient first century pre-modern rabbi that battles demons, 
And if we're honest with ourselves, I think that many of us struggle to believe in some of this stuff. Like, this is a story better suited to a B, you know, a B horror movie starring Nicolas Cage or something like that. A few weeks ago, uh, during the, in one of the insane heat waves that we were facing during the, the summertime, um, my friend Justin and I bought a, a few cases of Gatorade and went down to Tent City, which is uh, the homeless camp that is down near the railroad tracks. And we were just going to hand out Gatorades to people knowing that it was going to be really hot. And so um, I used to live downtown, and I've actually made quite a few relationships with a number of the people who live down there. And so we were just catching up with some of them here and there, handing out Gatorades. And as we were walking along with our wagon, uh, handing them out, uh, there was a man who was probably about... 10, 15 yards away from us, and he was actually quite a big, strong guy, and he's looking directly at Justin and I, and he says, I'm going to stab you! And our eyes got huge, and we like froze in our tracks, and I said, oh, I'm, do, do, you, do you want some Gatorade? <laughs> and, he, and he looks at us and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't talking to you. Yeah, sure, I'll take a Gatorade. And, um, and I would love to say that I stood tall and then I confronted whatever was behind that, you know, whatever was behind the mental illness that he was experiencing, that I cast out a demon, that the man was totally healed. But the truth is that I was freaked out by this man's mental illness and wanted desperately to get away as fast as I could. This fall, um, we are spending our, our time sort of walking through stories from the life of Jesus on how he demonstrated what it looks like to love his neighbor as himself and how, as his people, we can follow him in loving the people that are in our community. And so here in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus doing that. We see Jesus getting into a boat and crossing a lake. And as he's crossing the lake, this demonically influenced hurricane-like storm uh, rages up and Jesus confronts the storm as they're crossing the lake. And then they, they enter into this pagan Gentile territory in order to encounter a man who lives among the tombs, who is naked, who cuts himself who howls in torment night and day, who cannot be bound or tamed, someone who, according to the story, is more beast than man, all so that Jesus can bring healing and liberation to one who is suffering under demonic influence. In this story, Jesus, he goes from the safe place of his people, where his culture is, where everybody believes and agrees in what he believes and agrees with, and he leaves all of that behind to go to the epitome of uncleanness. He goes to an unclean place, the tombs, to an unclean person, the Gentile, among unclean animals, the pigs, to deal with unclean spirits, the demons, all to make this man who is an image bearer of God clean and whole. And so we, as we ask the question in this series, how do we love our neighbor? I believe that Jesus, again and again, throughout all the stories that we are reading, he is calling us, his people, out of the comfort of home to learn how to love those who are even bound, who are unclean, who are honestly scary 
so that we can be the messengers of hope and freedom to those who are bound by the enemy. So hopefully you still have your Bible open. We're going to just take a few minutes and walk through Mark chapter 5, line by line. Sound good? Still with me? All right. Verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, this story is taking place in a region that is called the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, and it's on the southeast uh, side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is pagan territory that is under the governmental and the cultural control of Rome. So while we've looked at, at stories earlier in this series of Jesus going to a place called Samaria, where it's like these are the sworn enemies of the Israelites, the fact is that the Samaritans had a lot in common with the Jewish people. They had a very similar culture, a very similar religion, similar language, everything. But when they go to the Decapolis, they're actually leaving behind everything that is familiar to the Jew and going into expressly Roman pagan territory. This was a place that was way out of bounds for this band of Jewish young men to travel to. And Jesus is doing this for a purpose. He is crossing outside of Jewish territory to proclaim and, and demonstrate God's kingdom in enemy territory. And he faces this immediate demonic resistance. The moment that he sets himself to go, a storm suddenly comes up upon them as Jesus is napping on the boat. Uh, and it's like the waves are huge and the rain and the disciples are fearing for their very lives. And Jesus, he sees everything that's happening. He responds to the fear and the cries of his disciples. And he stands up and we see that he quote, rebukes the storm, which is the exact same language for casting a demon out of a person. That Jesus didn't just tell nature to quiet down, he confronted a spiritual storm that was happening that was resisting his attempt to go to where he was convinced he needed to go. And then as soon as he lands on the shore, he is confronted by more demons in this man. And in both of these confrontations, he's dealing not with just a physical issue, but rather with the invisible spiritual forces that are behind the, nat the nature and behind the man. In verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, I know that in our culture, in our world today, I know that the moment that demons are mentioned, a number of us internally roll our eyes because it is hard for us to accept this pre-modern worldview when all of us have grown up in the age of science. We have been taught to believe that the only things that are truly real are the things that can be measured and observed. But you see, in Jesus' worldview and the teachings of the entire Bible, there is an invisible spiritual order that overlays the created order. And often the creator, created order actually mirrors and manifests the things that are happening invisibly. There are invisible forces that are at work all around us in systems, in people, in ideologies. And there are spiritual beings that are active in our world. And sometimes in the Bible, they're called angels and demons. Sometimes they're called spirits or powers, principalities. In fact, the Old Testament scriptures often uses the word Elohim or gods uh, spelled with a lowercase g. 
And so these, some of these spirits we see are, are aligned with Yahweh, you know, these angels and um, people like Gabriel and Michael the archangel who, who are doing bidding on behalf of Yahweh. And at the same time, there are many who resist God and are rebellion against Jesus and his kingdom. Verse 3, this man lived in, in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out, he would howl, and he would cut himself with stones. This is a terrifying scene. Like I said, straight out of like some kind of Halloween movie. We see that these, this group of, of likely teenage Jewish boys, along with their rabbi Jesus, come through a storm in the middle of the night and arrive again on the shore in a graveyard, like in the middle of the night in the dark. And that as they're tying up their boat, they see a man who is naked and covered in cuts, and he is dirty, and he is out of his mind and he is charging at Jesus to confront him. One of the funny things about this story is notice that it never actually says that the disciples even got out of the boat, and I wouldn't have either. <laughs> we see that this man has been suffering for some time. The people of the nearby towns and villages have attempted to bind him, likely for their safety and for maybe even his own good. And they've even tried binding him with chains. But this man is given supernatural strength from the demonic so that he could break them off. The word that's used here for subdue, where it says that the people of the town tried to subdue him, is the Greek word demazo. And it literally means to attempt to tame. That this wasn't a man to subdue. He is a beast that cannot be tamed. And we don't know how this man came under the influence of the demonic, but we know that somehow, likely over some time, uh, he gradually allowed these malevolent spirits access into his life and was slowly taken over by them. And what we see in the scriptures is that the function of demons is to distort and destroy the image of God in human beings. This man increasingly lost his humanity. He's pushed deeper and deeper into darkness, literally beginning to dwell among the tombs. He's given supernatural strength so that no one can bind him, yet we see that he is in fact bound and enslaved by the spirits that are in him. He is cutting himself as a form of relief from the interior torment. And throughout history, we see that these are consistent signs of demonization, isolation, supernatural strength, loss of free will and bondage, an obsession with death and darkness, mental illness and voices, nakedness and self-harm. Many of the things that we see in this demonized man in Mark chapter 5 are things that we see in human beings across all cultures, even today in the 21st century. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. 
So these impure spirits who are in this man, their response to seeing Jesus, their response to God incarnate, their, their response to a man overflowing with the Holy Spirit is to run up to him and to fall on their knees and shout, what do you want with me, Jesus? Which could actually be better understood or better translated as, why are you here? Or why are you bothering me? Or even, what is your problem? That this demon knows that Jesus has been given authority as a king of the Jews. And he is better off staying over there in Israel. This is my territory. This is my turf, Jesus. What are you doing here? And then he begs Jesus not to torture him. He says, swear to God, you won't torment me. Swear to God, you'll leave me alone. Swear that you won't hurt me or harm me or damn me. And, 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 and the funny thing about it, or the ironic thing about it, is that what had this, these demons been doing to this man the whole time? But binding him and tormenting him, torturing him. The, this demon was like a bad bully who wanted to give it but couldn't take it. And what we see in this moment, this confrontation between Jesus and the demon, is that there is no struggle here between the forces of good and the forces of evil. There is zero contest. Jesus has all of the power in this situation. There is no threat from the demon. There is only pleading and begging for its life. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion. That's how I read it every time. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I was, um, when, I, when you're preparing a message about spiritual warfare and demons, um, one of the things you have to be prepared for is, that, the, is that, that, that stuff might happen in your life. It might end up being kind of one of those frustrating, difficult weeks you know, maybe demons are after you or something. I don't know. And yesterday was easily one of the worst days that we ever have had with our children. They were out of control. It was very insane. And like, I was losing my temper, I confess. And at the end, towards, towards dinner time, I finally look at one of my boys and I say, I don't understand what is happening. And I swear to you, I thought, I had this moment where I'm like, I bet, like, there is like a 50-50 chance that I'm about to hear him say, I'm legion. <laughs> Legion is such an intense name. A legion was a Roman military term uh, that, was, that spoke of having 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So this man was hosting a ton of demons all at once. Many scholars believe that basically there was this demonic sort of group or nest or whatever you want to call it that had some dominion over that particular area and region and that they had sort of found him as this collective host from which they could inflict harm on the rest of the people in the area. What we see is that, that demons, they actually have a home base. They live somewhere. Have you ever driven into a certain part of town or walked past a particular house and sort of had that feeling like something was off or the hair on the back of your neck stands up? I know that it sounds kind of creepy and bizarre to many of us, but the truth is that it's likely because there is something that is invisible, in fact, that has been given space in those locations and doesn't want to leave. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, 
And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. We see here through the request that these demons are making to Jesus, they have two things that they are looking for. They are looking for territory and they are looking for a host. They want to stay where they feel like they belong and they want something to inhabit. So when they sense that they're about to be kicked out of this man, this image bearer, again, they beg Jesus and they say, please don't don't drive us out of the territory. Let us stay here and let us go hang out in those pigs over there. And look at what Jesus does. He actually lets them. He he responds in the affirmative and gives them permission. And, And here is the irony of what happens next. When they go into the pigs, the pigs rush down and they jump off a cliff. One might say a swine dive. And they, uh, boo, boo, shame. And they, uh, they jump off of the cliff literally out of the territory that they owned, and they jump into the water and are all drowned, and they lose their host all in a moment. And this would be considered, like, hilarious to a Jewish audience in in that time. Because these demons who are fearful and terrified of Jesus, they're looking for some kind of relief. And who is it that ultimately kills these demons? The pigs. The pigs do. This Jewish reader would have found this to be like a comic level, comic book level victory and irony. It's meant to get a laugh. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon-possessed man, uh, uh, to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. When the people in this area saw everything that had happened, it freaked them out. I mean, imagine being the herdsmen who are taking care of all of these pigs and running into t- to town. That is a rough conversation to have with your boss, is it not? <laughs> trying to explain what just happened. And, and there was this massive economic fallout with the, the kamikaze death of 2,000 pigs. But we see in the Bible that what freaked them out even more than everything that happened to these pigs, they were disturbed by what had happened to this man. They were more troubled and freaked out by seeing this demonized man clothed and in his right mind than they were by what had happened to these pigs. And they begged Jesus to leave the region. And then, so even though Jesus had gone on this demon-hunting mission to free this man, we see that as soon as the crowd begged him to leave, he did. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is a really interesting story. One of the things that I find particularly fascinating here is that Jesus is so like matter-of-fact and non-anxious throughout. As he's traveling in a boat across the lake in the midst of this demonically-inspired storm, he's sleeping in the boat. 
He's chilled out. He knows he's going to make it to the other side. Not, a, not worried about it at all. He gets out of the boat. This naked, demonized man runs, comes running out of the tombs at him. Jesus just stands his ground very peacefully and confidently and knows exactly who he is. And when the demons make a request of Jesus, he very casually listens to their request and grants it. Sure, go into the pigs. And then when the crowds come out and they're freaked out, get out of here, Jesus, go away. He's like, all right, that's cool. No problem. See you guys. And it's only when this man who had formerly been demonized, when he asks the question whether he can come and follow Jesus and be his disciple, it's the first time in the whole story that Jesus says no. He says yes to demons. He says yes to a pagan crowd. And he denies the man who just wants to follow him. And instead, it says that he sends him home to go share the good news with everyone that he meets, which is extraordinary. And if you read later on in the Gospels, you see that Jesus returns again to this region. And this time when he returns, he's not met with hostility and fear, but he's, he's met with openness and enthusiasm. Why? I think we have our first church planter right here. The demonized man who was sent by Jesus to go talk to his own people. And one of the truths that I believe that we kind of see at work here is the sense that the thing that you are set free from the, mo the person who is set free from something profound and dark is often the person who is most anointed by God to go there for and set other people free. It's amazing. Now, a story like this raises all kinds of stuff in the room. Like, no doubt there are some people who are in the room right now who are sort of drawn into a story like this, really curious about the, 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 the dark spiritual stuff, spiritual warfare stuff. There are others who are just like enthusiastic. I'm ready to go demon hunting to Jesus. Let's, let's go. But many of us, I believe, would sooner dismiss, dismiss this story rather than attempt to come to grips with it. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. You know, I'm a church kid my whole life. And um, growing up in a Pentecostal church, let me tell you, demons and witchcraft were always something that was real and scary, especially in the 80s, in the height of the satanic panic. And I remember being a young kid and like being told all the time that the things that I wanted so desperately to play with were all going to put demons in me. And so I was terrified of it all the time. And I remember um, having a lot of nightmares when I was like for just a little while when I was a kid. And I had this really well-meaning but totally misguided Sunday school teacher who explained to me that, um, hey, any time that you're afraid, that's a spirit of fear that you can that you can rebuke and cast out. There's a demon that you can just get rid of. And imagine being eight years old and hearing somebody say, anytime you wake up afraid, don't worry, there's just a demon in the room. <laughs> and I remember laying in bed and waking up and being like, ooh, it's kind of creepy. Oh no, oh no, oh no, there's a demon. It's scary. Um, and now that's not to downplay the downplay, the, the experience that I have really had in my life with spiritual warfare. I have been involved in very real demonic encounters. I have, I have had confront, confrontations with the demonic in many different ways. I've done the slow, quiet deliverance prayer with somebody that was very calm and methodical. I've confronted somebody who is manifesting something on the streets, something very lewd and crude and disgusting. I've prayed through buildings that were inhabited by spirits. I've seen very unsettling, literal, physical manifestations of things falling off walls and being thrown and doors slamming and everything as we are confronting the demonic. I've seen it. 
some people tend, I think, to over-spiritualize everything, stating that every flat tire and every cold that they get is a personal attack from Satan himself. And that's misguided. But many more of us tend to under-spiritualize our world. And therefore, often we gloss over the very real demonic influences that affect us in our lives, never getting to the root. Now, I don't have time this morning, unfortunately, to, uh, to really get into it. And I don't even honestly have enough personal expertise to fully and adequately teach through spiritual warfare. But with the time that I have left, I do think that it's important for us to just grapple a little bit with some of the things that, if we are honest, we do not talk about enough in church. Does anybody feel like we don't talk about this enough in church? A few of us? Okay. What happened to the man that was in this story was that he was under the influence or even the control of demons, real demons, not a mental disorder or a chemical imbalance, demons. And that's not to dismiss the very real, uh, the, the reality of mental health issues in our world today. You see, the Bible does actually distinguish between mental health and the demonic. And there are times in the book of Matthew where we see that Jesus actually confronts brain disorders and emotional disorders in people and treats them and just heals them like they are physical problems. But then, of course, we see tons of spaces where people's physical maladies, their pains in their body, their their ongoing torment in their mind uh, come directly from the demonic instead. And Jesus had a way of being able to determine which was which. Satan and demons are at work in our world, and they are at work to oppose God and the will of God. The name Satan means literally sworn enemy or adversary. And the name the devil means literally the slanderer. Satan exists in opposition to everything that is, that is in God's created order and works against God's will. That's just what Satan does. And Satan hates human flourishing in the will of God. He resists and opposes the teaching of the gospel and the opening of the word of God. He seeks to distort and destroy the image of God in human beings. In John 10.10, we read that the thief, meaning the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus says, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We see in the Bible that Satan and demons are the antithesis to what the triune God is up to, where Jesus comes to bring life and righteousness and peace and wholeness and healing. Satan comes to accuse and kill and rob of your destiny and even ultimately to destroy. And the means by which the demonic uh, destroys is very, very subtle. It happens through deception. We read from the very first pages of the Bible, we see the serpent not threatening Eve or physically dominating her or forcing her into anything. No, he simply comes as a deceiver. How does Satan destroy people? He lies to us. He manipulates us. He sows seeds of doubt or fear or identity crisis into us. And sometimes this happens through trauma. Sometimes it happens through media. 
Sometimes it happens through self-talk and a million other ways. And as we give room to his voice in our lives, we fall more and more under his control to our own destruction. So while the panic that that was, uh, you know, uh, while, while the panic when I was a kid in the church was all about Dungeons and Dragons and Ouija boards, not that we endorse those things at all, I believe that as the church, we should be way more concerned about the things that reach to way deeper places like our identity. I think that we should be way more concerned about the, the demonic influences that come into our lives through outrage culture and the media and all kinds of things like that. Demonic influence often looks like basically deformation. It's the slow work of gradually following something to our own destruction until after a while we find ourselves totally bound by things like addiction and eating disorders and uncontrollable sexual desire and rage and outrage and a hundred other disorders. And this is why the Apostle Paul clearly commands and warns the church, do not give the enemy even a foothold in your life. And we open ourselves to demonic influences when we participate in these kind of things that addict and deform us. And so we can open ourselves up to the demonic in lots of ways, things like witchcraft and and stuff like that, or drugs and drunkenness or pornography, and those are obvious. But the Bible goes even further and warns that we open the door to Satan's influence in our life through things like slander and gossip, anger and rage, violence, lust, and idolatry. What we see in the scriptures is that wherever sin is given space to operate in our lives, the demonic will try to ride in on its coattails. I believe that there is something spiritual behind much of what plagues us today. Forgive me for being a little bit of a weird charismatic. I really do believe that there's a lot more demonic stuff in our world than most of us are comfortable admitting. We see demonic forces, what the Bible calls principalities and powers behind nations and systems. And I believe that Satan and demons lie behind much of the oppressive governments and systems that exist in our world today. Things like the government of North Korea or communist China or even the Taliban. I think that there is something spiritual that exists behind those um, behind those systems. In fact, we, we, we see in the Bible that there is something spiritual behind every global power, including our own country, and we are often completely oblivious to it. I believe that satanic power lies behind many evil ideologies that are, that are rampant in our world today. There is something demonic uh, that, that exists behind child slavery or suicide bombers or the genocide of people like the Uyghurs in China. I believe that the violence that we've seen in Portland and the riots uh, that have happened over the last year, that they're not all demonized people, but I think that there is something demonic that is sort of at work underneath that. And certainly it was obvious to see something demonic and horrific that was at work underneath what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. There is something spiritual behind the addictive and manipulative nature of much of the media that we are consuming today. Whether it's the outrage machine of cable news and Facebook that is deforming God's people and and turning us into a space of devouring one another rather than blessing and encouraging each other. 
or whether it's just simply the, uh, uh, something demonic behind the over-sexualized, uh, uh, fast-paced images that we see on TikTok that are forming the youth, uh, the, this upcoming Generation Z. <laughs> Sorry, I've become an old man. Get off my lawn. And because everything has an opportunity to spiritually form us, I think the way that we are opening ourselves up to these subtle and invisible and completely, like, we're just completely blind to it, the reality of demonic influences that are in everything that we tend to consume that, that are deforming us, no wonder this is having such a massive impact on our mental and emotional health. And there is plenty of reason to believe that the epidemic of anxiety and depression and addiction in our generation is at least demonically influenced. Can I get an amen? And I believe that the call of God on the church today is to learn how to discern the spiritual forces behind human suffering so that we can address things at the root rather than constantly dealing with symptoms. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Can you say divine power? Let's get a little Pentecostal today. Say divine power. The weapons that we have been given, they have power. They have real power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, lest you think that this is a text that is all about apologetics, being able to fight back against every idea with a counter-argument, let me tell you, that is not what Paul is getting at right here. How do we confront all of the ideologies in this world today that, are, that set themselves up against the will of God? We demonstrate the kingdom. We demonstrate it in the way that we live and love and the way that we pursue righteousness and justice in our world. Amen? We can resist the spiritual forces of evil by only one means, the blood of Christ, the authority that we have in Jesus. We see in the Bible that without Jesus, we are dead in our sin and we are under the authority of Satan. But Colossians 1 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That word redemption, we have been purchased back from the enemy ter territory and we have been given freedom and life in his kingdom. Jesus is our rescuer. No amount of self-help or, or you know, uh, fi fixing ourselves through self-improvement is going to get us out of it. No, it is Jesus who is our rescuer. And we see that Jesus doesn't just wait for people to come to him looking for help. He gets in a boat and he crosses the lake to go to the darkest places to seek and save all who are lost. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of, Man, sorry, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We have been reading, we've been in the series talking about how Jesus demonstrates love for his neighbor. The compassion of Jesus, his love for his neighbor is expressed in this moment through his fury towards Satan. How does Jesus love the demoniac? By going after the devil. The plight of humanity is not just an oppressive government or an ideology or systemic oppression 
though I believe that all of those things are very real forces. The root problem is Satan. Evil taking up residence in humanity and distorting and destroying the image of God and people. And we see a billion other evils flow from this. And Jesus comes to undo and restore broken humanity. Jesus comes and he challenges every claim to power over us. He has come to set free every captive, including you and me. You see, the soul of this man in Jesus' eyes was worth more than 2,000 pigs, more than the economic well-being of an entire region. In fact, this man's soul and every other soul is worth everything to Jesus. To Jesus, our souls are worth his very life. And what we read in the Gospels is that Jesus himself will later end up naked like this man. He will end up alone like this man. He will end up outside the town among the tombs like this man. Jesus will have his flesh torn like this man. Jesus will moan and shout in torment like this man when he is on the cross. And Jesus will surrender his life to evil so that he might destroy evil. And every single one of us, like this man, are all slaves by nature and choice to evil. We are bent on self-destruction and none of us are capable of breaking the power that binds us. Jesus alone has the power to break sin in our lives. And even if you are a Christian and have been a Christian for a long time and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you are born again, the battle is still not over, though the victory is assured. The people of God will face opposition and the calamity of evil so long as we live on this earth. We will deal with the deforming power of the demonic as it continues to seek to distort and destroy the image of God in you and me. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we are commanded to resist him. How does Jesus love the unclean? Those who are bound by Satan, those who terrify us, he goes to the darkest places and he pulls it out by its root. How does Jesus love you and me? He invades those dark spaces in our own hearts to confront the evil behind the disorders in our lives. And so the question is, where does the enemy have a foothold in your life? What open doors do you feel like need to be shut? What is lurking among the tombs and distorting and destroying you? Jesus is here to cleanse you. And I'm just here this morning to ask the question, could it be that the root of some suffering, there's a demonic stronghold behind it? We see Jesus bring freedom. Amen.